Well, if you've got a Bible with you this morning, I invite you to take it out. If you don't have one, there's one probably right in front of you, in this, to the row in front of you. But we are uh, continuing in our series this morning through our, our Advent season. If you were here last week, maybe you remember, uh, we began in the book of Matthew. And our hope is really to look at um, the context of Matthew's gospel in his point of the Christmas story. I think often uh, families think of Christmas and, and the scriptures, and they look at Luke, and they kind of work through that. Um, but Matthew has such richness for us to consider. If you remember it all from last week, and if you weren't here, let me just uh, maybe remind you of a way of writing. Matthew, here in his gospel, he had a goal, and it was very specific. Um, we saw that last week, and just looking at the he wanted to really define and lay out for us why Jesus, right, this so-called Messiah, had legal claim of royal kingship through and to the throne of David. And so we spent time last week looking at the genealogy. Matthew's genealogy begins with Abraham, and he kind of works it all the way out through. We talked about how he doesn't include everybody, and that's okay. He includes those who are necessary to mention, to maintain the legal authority that would connect Jesus to David, ultimately. See, God had given various covenants or promises over history, and his people continued to look for them. He continued to watch for them. They continued to long for these covenants to be fulfilled Right, when he told Abraham, look, your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky, they longed for that to be recognized. And they said, the king, the Messiah, the one who will reign on David's throne will come through David's line. They longed for that to come. And so I have to ask, I think, you and, and myself the question this morning, what do you long for? Right, what, what do you desire? It's easy to get an idea to answer that question when talking with kids, right? This time of year, we talk to them, Christmas gifts come to mind, and you, oh, if I could just have this thing, right? There's, there's a sense of longing they have, but as adults, we know that's temporary. We're not idiots. We know that the thing they long for for Christmas, about a week after Christmas, they'll long for something different, Right? But I think when we read in the scriptures that, that God's people longed for the Messiah, they eagerly waited, they were anticipating, they were on the lookout, they were watching for Christ to come. We have to ask ourselves, what do we long for in life? What do we long for more than anything else? And it could be you have a longing for really something that could be fulfilled through a temporary solution. Meaning maybe your longing is just to stop struggling through your day. And you, you've kind of decided that, look, if, if this situation could just be turned a little bit, the struggle would cease. You've longed for, for your heart to not be broken. And so if this part of your life could just be tweaked a, a little bit, just turned just a hair, and the brokenness would cease. You've longed for peace or for comfort. There's a myriad of, of answers you could give. But it seems as I get older, there's temptation for this time of year just to become more routine. It's, it's, it's things to get done, things to do, 
right? We're going to hustle and bustle. Christmas Day will come. Half my kids are mad there's no snow. I was excited it was 60 degrees yesterday. And then guess what? December 26th will be here as well. But I wonder if going on deep within my own soul and maybe within yours, there's a longing for such fulfillment, for something deeper, for something greater. And it could be that that what you're longing for is found in the simplicity of the baby born in a manger. Like I've said probably now hundreds of times before here at State Street, let me caution you not to settle in and assume you know the Christmas story. You're good people. I think most of you are even nice people. All right? But careful just to become comfortable this morning and say, I know what's going to happen. We're going to read about Matthew and an angel and Joseph. I know what the end of the story is. Be careful that you don't just tell the Holy Spirit, I'm good. But perhaps listen to what his word desires to say this morning because like we said before, God's word will reign and rule and move to eternity. My words won't. So I pray this morning that God's word would bury itself deep within you and change you through the work of the Holy Spirit. If you have a Bible with you this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. This is God's word. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. God, as we pause in our week for a few moments as a church family to surround ourselves around and under your word, I pray that you would be present. I pray that you would accomplish great things so that we might know and understand you in a greater way, so that we would be moved to be a people who live by the hope of the gospel that was born to this manger. Father, do some work this morning in your name. Amen. Again, it's likely you haven't picked up Matthew and started to read it on Christmas morning. Perhaps you jump to Luke and you work out of that portion of Scripture. Because Matthew's account, it varies from Luke, doesn't it? Matthew doesn't go into the description of a census being called. He doesn't go into travel. He doesn't talk about an empty inn or even a stable birth. 
yet when we combine Matthew with Luke, we really do get a full landscape of the scenario taking place around the birth of Christ. Of course, Matthew and Luke are different people. They write in different ways, right? And their perspective kind of yearns and draws themselves to different things. It's just like you and me, right? Our memories, right, hold certain things in my mind very vividly. Other things are very just kind of abstract and quickly forgotten. You know, for my memory, my kid's birth seemed pretty simple, pretty easy. Kim might have a different story to tell. I, I don't know, right? right? Our vantage points were just different. Right, and so Matthew's vantage point was different than Luke's vantage point, all right? And so we kind of put them together, and we, we get the full landscape, all right? Matthew's important for us to understand the fullness of the coming of Christ. See, Mary had been told by an angel that she would conceive by the Holy Spirit, as any good teenager should. She probably freaked out, right? But even in that quick interaction with the angel, she says, yes. Luke tells us, she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left from her. I mean, Mary was so unique in the way that she responded. We often sit there and think, look, I wouldn't have answered that way. There's no possible way I would have said, all right. Well, you've probably not had an angel come to you like that before. And you don't really know how you'd react. There's temptation here to think that Mary... Right? We know that she was special, but we've seen how think she's otherworldly. But let's go down that road. Mary is a human being. She seems to have some heart that God likes and, and desires to raise Christ on earth. But Mary was simply chosen, as far as we know, by God according to his sovereign choosing. She humbly agrees to take on not just the, the burden of carrying a child, but don't forget, this child would become a man. There was a raising process. Matthew here is helpful in giving just some background information regarding Mary and Joseph and, and their relationship. We're told they're engaged, right, or betrothed. Customarily, at least in this current culture, when this is written, it's a two-step process. Seems a little bit easier in some ways. All right, first, it was customary that the parents of the young man would just choose a young woman to be engaged to their son. Then as time would go on, really the second stage would take place. Or official arrangements would be done. There was even a prenuptial agreement taking place before witnesses. And all this would come to form together what would be a legally binding contract. So for all intents and purposes, we see that Mary and Joseph, they, they say husband, they say wife, because man, we're assuming they're in stage two of this engagement process. They're as good as married, yet without the formality of the end result. So if anything were to happen to this covenant relationship, it would have to be through a formal process of divorce. See, engagement is not like our engagements. It's not... I changed my mind. Here's your ring back. It was a drawn-out process that had legal implications for both families. See, Matthew's helpful in helping us understand that this relationship is one that was known. It's likely for a while that, that Joseph knew Mary. That Joseph's family had told him, look, that's Mary. As in the one that, that you will one day marry. 
And it's like that Joseph's mind, like any good husband, had fear and trembling when he thought, what is marriage like? What's it going to be like? And especially now, right? I don't even know her that well. But a time had gone on, and guess what? He probably liked her a little bit. He had gotten to know her over time. And now he finds himself likely in love, engaged to Mary, who now, without his involvement at all, finds herself pregnant. He reminds us when he said it was discovered that before they came together, she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. You've got to think about Joseph for a moment. <laughs> uh, like the question, like, um, Mary, quick, quick thing, real quick. I've noticed you've put on some weight. <laughs> um, just not offensive, just asking what's going on here. Right? Put yourself in Matthew's shoes for a moment, or in Joseph's shoes for a moment. So it's thought that right, Mary has left. She went to hang out with Elizabeth, right, was pregnant with John the Baptist. So roughly when, when Joseph discovers all this is taking place, Mary's about three months pregnant, we think. Right, this, this whole baby bump Instagram thing, right? That, that, that's where she's at right now. And Joseph, he finds himself at a crossroad. Do I trust the words of Mary and her description of this angel that she tried to tell me about, the special child that she was carrying? Or do I just pursue some divorce here? Do I end the marriage process? It's obvious she was unfaithful. I've got to move on with my life. I mean, Joseph had some wrestling to do. And we can certainly understand Joseph's predicament, can't we? The wrestling of potential unfaithfulness, the confusion that he must have had, sleepless nights of wondering what he did wrong, what he may have caused, how he may have caused this. That's often what happens to someone who feels like they're the victim. They wonder what they could have done differently. And in this case, let's be honest, Joseph could have done nothing differently. Because God has set in motion a plan he decreed before the creation of the time to send a Savior who would be the Messiah to rescue his people. So as we see this whole narrative taking place, this unique story with this unique couple in time, we have to ask ourselves, what can we know for sure in all of this? I think there are three primary things for those who love note-taking. It's very simple today. The first is this, the willingness of Joseph to follow the Lord. But bigger than that, the other two things that we can learn this morning, it's how Jesus came and why Jesus came. See, there is temptation as we work through Matthew's gospel to just settle in and focus solely on Joseph and to lock in to a nicely crafted sermon for you this morning of, of how you need to be more like Joseph. How you need to be, um, right, to put someone to shame. You need to have character and honor and integrity. You need to act above reproach. And those are all true, and those are things that you do see in Joseph's character. But if we stopped there, I think we would fall greatly short of why Matthew included this portion of Scripture about Joseph. It's true, again, Joseph, he seemed like a good guy. He wanted to do the honorable thing for Mary. He wanted, I think, to allow her to move on in life and to allow himself to move on in life. 
But what I think we should notice most is takeaway is that Joseph listened. Joseph listened. As he processed everything out, this angel comes to him in a dream. He explains all that has taken place in Mary's life and in his life. We see the response of Joseph. Verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him, and he married her. Joseph showed character. Joseph showed compassion. But I believe that most importantly, in the narrative of Christ's birth, Joseph showed obedience. As God led, Joseph was obedient. See, again, Mary's pregnant. Joseph has nothing to do with it. Mary says, look, it, it, it was the Holy Spirit. Joseph probably says, okay. And now Joseph has an angel saying, look, Mary's, Mary's telling the truth. And in that moment, Joseph has to make a decision. And the decision is not whether to believe or not believe. The decision is one to obedience or to disobedience. See, the angel said in verse 20, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. See, the angel here is very direct. All this has taken place. Mary's telling the truth. This is the Messiah. Joseph chose obedience. It could have been that Joseph wrestled for a while. We don't get that indication because it says in verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took his wife. Look, there's times when God will call you to do something. When he will put his word in front of you and call you to trust him. When he will put a situation before you and he will ask you, do you trust that I will go with you through this? And ultimately, he's asking, will you be obedient? See, I think it's easy in this, for us in our lives to just think that, that God always gives the, the kind of choose-your-own-adventure model. And I think there are some times in life when, when situations that we have, yeah, make your choice. But there are moments, if you are a follower of Christ, that God puts in front of you when he calls us to choose either obedience or disobedience. And part of it is, is desiring for us, that God has for us, to submit our lives before him. To actually believe that, that God's ways are, are better than our ways. That his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That, that God can see down the landscape of history and time far beyond even your breath can carry you. And trust that he is greater than your pain and your joy in any situation that you're experiencing. 
And in those moments, I think God asks the question, do you trust me? Will you be obedient? And I'm not going to get in this morning to start listing out for you 14 different scenarios or as examples. Because we are unique. But yet how God calls us and works with us, it seems to be fairly consistent. Will you be obedient when God says, obey my commands? That's a fairly simple question for us to wrestle with. But if you're like me, you go into the, yeah, but what if this happens? Yeah, but what if, what if it goes this way, not that way? And we begin to kind of unravel the situation in our minds as if we can somehow predict a situation that God didn't possibly see coming. And so we've chose plan C. And I wonder in those times if God would come back and just say, look, will you just be obedient? See, in one sense, the experience of Joseph, it might be out of our realm of, of comprehension of things that we would deal with in life. But I actually think, in another sense, it's very similar just to our daily walk. Because God calls us to walk with him and to follow him and to trust him daily. God calls us to be obedient to him and to his leading despite of our circumstance, our situation, our emotion, or our thoughts. 1 John 5, 1 through 3 says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. You see, for the follower of Jesus, the obedience to God's commands, it's not a burdensome weightiness. But God has actually designed his commands to be life-giving. To trust that he has plans and purposes and wisdom beyond our own. This is what Joseph shows us this morning in his response to the angel. Because Joseph was not called just to, to find out Mary was pregnant, right? Pregnancy has an end result. It's called a new life. And if you've ever walked that journey out, you, you've arrived in that hospital room and you have this new life in front of you and you're trying to figure out, what do I do with this thing? If I drop it, I'm pretty sure I'll break it. All right, they say don't shake it. And so we get back to the nurse because we feel like they know better than us. Joseph would have known all these things just without the, the benefits of a hospital room. And guess what kids do? By God's grace, they grow up. And so here Joseph is now being tasked with not just to, to hey, deal with the fact that Mary's pregnant, but you're going to name this child. If you know anything, when you start naming things, you feel more connection to it, don't you? We still have four kids and we named them all. Right? We have a connection to them. And they've kept growing. 
And what was once brand new is now 12 years old and 10 years old and 7 years old and 4 year old in our family. See, Joseph had the task of not just having this newborn child, right? Be obedient here. Mary's pregnant, trust her. Believe her. Call him Jesus. But Joseph also has the task of, of raise him, invest in him, teach him, show him. He's the Messiah. See, Joseph shows in his response to an angel obedience to trust in a God who works in ways far beyond our ways. God's commands are not burdensome, but they're life-giving because God knows best. They're higher, they're better than things we can predict. But a response of obedience is truly, church, listen, it's a response of worship. And as we grow in our maturity in Christ and we understand the greatness of this manger child, we understand the importance, I pray, of obedience when God leads us. Because in Joseph's obedience and the greatness of this manger and the sacrifice of the cross lies the hope of the empty tomb. Now, we don't know the story We don't know how it would have turned out if Joseph said no. No thanks. Way too much for me. I was thinking about six years of marriage first and then kids. I want to get my career off the ground and get my whole carpet thing going. It it didn't go that way, so we don't know how it would have played out. But here's what I can venture to guess. Is that God would have kept his promise. And that somehow the Messiah would have gone to the cross. So before we think too grandly of Joseph and how this whole thing hinged on him, it didn't. The whole manger scene hinges on God. It hinges on God keeping his word. It hinges on God being trustworthy. It hinges on God being faithful to keep his Word that he declared in the Garden of Eden that the Christ would come. But in the midst of this, I actually think there are two other and perhaps more important details conveyed through the birth narrative told by Matthew. How did Jesus come to earth and why Jesus came? Look again, just quickly, we'll read it together. Matthew 1, just 21 to 23. Maybe beyond. It says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. How did Jesus come to earth? through the miraculous conceiving of the virgin birth. Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecy given in Isaiah, and his birth in its miraculous fashion is really pivotal pivotal to his identity. Emmanuel, God with us. God had taken on flesh, yet it was through the conceiving of the Holy Spirit that he was not corrupt. He was not broken. He was not sin-tarnished like you and me. See, Jesus would remain fully God 
and fully man. See, the pregnancy of Mary's of Mary is another symbol of God's faithfulness. It's another symbol of God's willingness to keep his promise. Jesus came to earth by the miraculous. He came by God's faithfulness. Don't pass over too quickly, right? You will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What is wrapped up in his name is also his identity. Matthew reminds us this morning that that Jesus came to earth by the work and hand of God. And so before we fall into just rhythmic tradition over the next few days of certain meals being shared and gifts being passed around, Remember that God set this all in motion. What we celebrate through the giving of gifts is meant to remind us of the greatest gift given of all, of the, of the Messiah, of God keeping his promise through the miraculous virgin birth. And why did he come? So he would save his people from their sin. See, don't forget, Matthew is not writing for us this morning this this clean little snippet of a story that ends in chapter 1, and we close our book, and we go have coffee and pass out gifts. Matthew writes this this morning, then, as a reminder for us this morning, of the rest of his writings that will take place. Matthew is simply setting the stage right now. He's preparing. He's creating some tension. He's creating some drama. He's sucking you in early on in the story. But he's writing out the rest of the narrative that is wrapped up in the life of Christ. Matthew's very clear that from the beginning, this baby would be great. That he would do whatever it would take to destroy the power of sin. That he would be, as our kids' Bible calls him, this rescuer. This is the Messiah. Ultimately, that he would save his people from their sin. I think it's important to note the words that were used here by Matthew because I think they're intentional. See, the angel states that Jesus will save his people from their sin. What does that imply? I hate grammar, so don't look for some deeper meaning here, okay, of breaking down of grammar things. But what does this simply imply? It implies this, that God has for himself a people. His people. And that his people are simply those that would trust in Christ as their Savior. And it will be his people that will be saved from their sin. See, nowhere in Scripture, and we have to be clear, because if I want to be honest with you, I need to be honest before the Lord, that nowhere in Scripture is it taught that Christ's eventual death on the cross and resurrection from the grave is applicable to all mankind no matter what. If that was the case, then it would say that Jesus would save all people from their sin. But it didn't say that, did it? 
It says that he will save his people from their sin. See, Jesus came to redeem people. He, he came to make what was broken restored. And I, I don't know if we fully understand redemption. And it's getting harder to understand because we live in a, in a throwaway culture. It's typically more affordable and faster for me to order on Amazon Prime than it is to figure out how to fix whatever's broken. And so I, I do it. <laughs> Instead of tinkering and messing with, and now I'm like $400 into this project that could have cost me $100 brand new. But the idea here of the word redemption is restoration. It's, it's making what is broken restored to be as if it was brand new. It's, it's to take what's broken and, and dirty, damaged, and to bring it back to a status that's shiny and spectacular. See, Jesus came to do this for people. And what does he mean by that? Again, it's not this, we're going to set you up in this beautiful house, and your car is great, and your life's going to be perfect. That's not a guarantee anywhere in the Bible. But it's to restore himself a people. And what does that restoration mean? It means restored in relationship to him. See, to, to look back and to understand what it was like when it was first right, started, you have to go back to the garden. You, you have to go back to Adam and to Eve who just who walked around. Clothing was optional. They opted not. And it says that they communicated with God. They, they walked and they observed things that we have never observed. They see lions and lambs in the, in the same field hanging out. The lion's not chasing the lamb. They observed fruit that didn't rot. It didn't wither. didn't break down. And they observed a relationship with their creator that was open and honest and intimate and could handle the weightiness of their questions. And they didn't feel shame bringing these things before the Lord. Like when we hit a life scenario and we ask the question, God, why? They asked God why and God was willing to give them answers back and forth. There wasn't shame in asking that. There was confidence in asking that. You see, Christ came to redeem for himself a people that through confession, repentance, and trusting in Christ would be his. I think there's temptation to think, especially this time of season, of goodwill to others, that this nativity scene and the manger message just has universal acceptance and applicability. But listen, Matthew does not tell us that. And neither, neither does the rest of Scripture. Part of us knowing this Christmas story, knowing how Jesus came and knowing why Jesus came is that we would remember the condition of which salvation is rooted on. That we are saved by grace alone, 
through faith alone and Christ alone. That we would remember that without Christ, we are lost. But yet once we are his, that we are his for eternity. That we are rooted and established in Christ. But our being rooted and established does not depend on you or me. It depends on who this baby Jesus was. So listen, I beg you, don't rush the next couple days. Don't sprint to December 26th. To the birth of Jesus, it's, it's a message of hope. God with us, taking on flesh, Joseph's life is an example of obedience to trust the Lord to raise this young baby to become a man who would then go on to a cross. God still calls you and he calls me to obedience as Joseph showed. He calls us to remembrance that God keeps his word as he did through the virgin birth. And then God calls us also to acceptance. That this child king would grow up and save for himself a people from their sin. Look, God calls you today to live in that identity that he's given you rooted and established here, begin the journey on earth, but established far before that. So your identity in Christ really is established, yes, through faith in Christ alone that was achieved in the cross through his death and resurrection, but your hope is established in the character and nature of who God is today. So don't allow yourself, don't allow yourself, I'm talking to me as well, to get sucked into this mindset of my feelings are guiding me. I could never be as good as Joseph. I promise you, Joseph wasn't the best parent. He probably made mistakes too. But through Matthew's words, be reminded of God's faithfulness. All of Matthew chapter 1 is about God keeping his promise. that he will save for himself a people from their sins and that those people would know him, they would trust him, they would be obedient to him and that we would make much of Christ. I like Christmas. I like the season. I don't like the extra focus we give, if I'm honest, because it makes it really, really, really too easy to live December 26th as if Christmas has come and gone. The gospel, listen church, the gospel is meant to be part of your life every day. How you, I mean this, how you are as a neighbor, how I'm a, I am as a dad, as a worker, as a citizen of a community, as, as a family member, it's all to be rooted in who you are in Christ, which is founded in the gospel. 
I pray that our, our Christmas celebrations man, will be grounded in remembering the faithfulness of God to keep His Word. The first advent should call us to long for the second advent. Because God's promised that He will come again. And so we know that He will not come in the form of a baby. We're not, we're not looking around for the next Mary to take place. But we know that, that Christ will come and it will be a visible way. And I'm not getting into your view on end times and a thousand year reign and so on. But here's what I know. When Christ comes again, man, those who are his people will understand in fullness what it means to be saved from their sin. And we will have eternity in glory with our creator. So my prayer is that this Advent season would actually draw our hearts to greater yearning and longing and begging for the Lord to come again. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. And just for the writing of Matthew and his unique perspective to write in a way that that really draws us to remember your faithfulness, that you keep your word. And so, God, we trust that you do mean what you say you mean, that you will come again. And right now we live in this gap of time where where the kingdom has already come but is not yet in its fullness, where you, Lord, are continuing to draw people to yourself. And so, Father, we pray for eyes to see, ears to hear for hearts to understand what it means to live in the gospel, what it means to live out the gospel with others, and what it means to yearn for your coming again. Amen.